Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about sharing the hope of the gospel until Christ is formed in you. So good to be with you. I, you know, I love preaching. When I was, I was a pastor for about 28 years and preaching was um, one of those things that I loved. I love, love doing it. Partly because I had the privilege of getting before the Lord for a lot of time. I have uh, spent, you know, I spent a bunch of time getting ready. And so this morning I'm going to be talking about anxiety. So I've been worried all week. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, but I wanted to just, just talk about anxiety. Part of what I do as a counselor is I bump into things that maybe don't come up in church very often. But anxiety comes up everywhere. It's a universal experience. No question. 2001, the World Health Organization decided to do a study. And this was the most recent study I could find on anxiety. It was kind of surprising. And I went to the Mayo Clinic and went to other places to look at clinically what the people outside the church are saying about anxiety. And so it turns out that 40 million Americans in the U.S. currently have anxiety. Isn't that encouraging? One in 13 of us. So for those of you who are in this room who are sitting in some anxiety right now, some of this won't be funny. Turns out they broke it down by gender. 23.4% of the people who are anxious are female compared to 14% who are male. That's probably because we just don't always get it. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, the house is on fire. Oh, cool. We probably should get out. You know, whereas women are, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? It's really different. 14%. They broke it down by ages. Turns out the people 18 to 44 are anxious the most over 23% of people in that category, in that age group, are more anxious. I love this one. People 60 and over, only 9%. You know what that means? We don't care. We've already been through most of the battles. We know it's going to be all right. It's like, oh, well, I might have that. Well, whatever. I was at my physical once recently, and my doc said, Wow, is there anything hurting? I said, well, do you want to, you got some time? <laughs> I've got a list for you. I said, but you know, I'm 68. Good night. Stuff's going to hurt. She said, wow, you're so reasonable. I said, yeah, or in denial. I don't know. <laughs> so it turns out that of the students receiving counseling on current university campuses, 41% are being seen for anxiety. It's interesting, in almost every study that they did, it turns out that, and they use the term religion, but we talk about a relationship with Jesus, that folks who are religious in general have religious training, spirituality, faith, prayer, etc. Their anxiety was redu reduced dramatically. 75% of pastors that were a part of this reported being extremely stressed or highly stressed 75% of those in leadership I want to give you just some interesting things that I saw in this I just thought were like seriously 
Ten surprising common anxiety triggers. Caffeine. Top the list. Sorry about it. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just a presenter here. I'm not. Caffeine can do many things, including inducing anxiety. A messy home environment. Do you want to tell you how you can drive me crazy? Make me go to Hobby Lobby. <laughs> Son, have you ever seen all the stuff they have in there? Oh my gosh. That, that's like, oh gosh. Okay, I'll go. Um, a messy environment. Because here's what happens mentally. Here's what happens. Some of us get hooked into detail. And if I'm in Hobby Lobby, and I'm in that aisle where they have all those fake flower things, there's like a hundred of them. And it's like my brain is like... And so it just your brain can't process all that at once for some of us. A messy environment. Self-neglect. Not enough sleep. Financial struggles, social gatherings, some social gatherings will trigger anxiety inside of us. A rough work environment. Here's some foods that, that uh, are anxiety provoking. I don't know how they figure this out. Again, they talk about alcohol, caffeine, sugary drinks, processed foods, foods that are high in fat, excess, excessive saturated fats tend to do stuff in your brain. Uh, some activities, um, being a Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> Today, being a Tar Heel fan. You know, that's, that's anxiety producing. Um, eight long-term strategies. This is what you will hear if you try to address this. Um, they talk about identifying and managing triggers. A trigger is an outside event that produces an in internal response. A trigger is an outside event that will produce an internal response. I heard someone say one time, if your reaction is hysterical, it's probably historical. So if you have something that just like sends you over the top, that's probably not about that. That's called a trigger. So they say that if you spend your day getting triggered, that's going to produce some anxiety. They talk about doing a daily routine of meditation. For those of us in the church, we know that as time with Jesus or a quiet time. Keep a journal. Socialize. That means get in a small group. They don't know that, but that's what that means. Because we were created to live with people. And I can tell you that isolation is the absolute worst thing you can do if you're anxious. Because you can't think your way out of it. So there's a place where you want to be with people. And then talking about your diet, they talk about exercise and that kind of thing. Here are two of the most favorite things I found in looking, at, looking through this. They discovered that peanut butter was good for anxiety. I said, see there, see there, that's good. And then this one, the flavonoids in cocoa of dark chocolate protect your cells. Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> that's it. That's all we need. I, if, if you had been a church of 25, I would have brought us all a Reese's cup to eat today. 
So Reese's peanut butter cups. Anxiety is that experience though. Here's the thing. Anxiety participate or, or anticipates non-existent dangers and helplessly dwells on them to reduce them. It's like a projected fear about something that never happens. I wrote a couple of definitions down that I want to share with you. Um, the first one is, what is anxiety? As we're talking through this today, I want to talk about this. There's really two ways that people preach. Occasionally people will, and guys who are pastors will, or women who are pastors will, teach through a, a book of the Bible. They'll take John and just go through John. Or sometimes they'll do something topical, like I want to talk about fasting or I want to talk about prayer. So today, that's what I'm doing. I typically am more comfortable going through expositorily because I like the word and I want that to be the thing you hear. But today we're going to talk about this. And so when I'm using the term anxiety, this is what I'm talking about. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. It's always something projected. It's intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday life. So, you know, my question today is, what does the Bible have to say about that? And secondly, from a Christian worldview, what do we do about anxiety? Because I'm, I see enough people that I know all of us have wrestled with worry from time to time. It's just a normal part of life. We do that. So as a believer, what do we say? What does the Bible have to say about it? And what can we do about it? And I want to give you just some things I'm really excited to share with you. So let's start with what does the Bible say? In Matthew 10, and these are just random texts that I just pulled this is Jesus talking to the disciples, and he says, look, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious about what you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. So it's really kind of difficult to take today's grace and today's provision and apply it to something in the future. I'm both a father and grandfather, and for me to worry about my kids' school right now is crazy because I really don't know their future. I can't know what's in their future. But worry will steal your present. It steals your present. And you can't be present to enjoy what God has for us today. So Jesus says, look, guys, when you get out there, don't get anxious about all that. When you get there, I'm going to provide. Another one in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about the difference between being married and being single. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. And then in the context of that, he says, because when you're married or when you're in a committed relationship, there's more to consider. Like when I was single, I could, I could live in the gym if I wanted to. And I pretty much did. My world was sleeping, eating, going to class most of the time, and going to the gym. Well, when I met Diane and we got married, suddenly 
I can't just leave and go play basketball for four hours. I can't just leave. There's more to it. There's considerations that aren't there. And Paul is basically saying, in all of that, I want you free from anxiety. I love this one in 1 Peter. He's talking to elders and he's talking to leadership. And he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. In other words, don't let leadership go to your head. And then he says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And that term casting right there, it literally means to throw it. It's just like, I can't do this. Take it, take it, take it. I can't do this. You, you cast them on the Lord. You treat them as something that's an invasion of your spiritual day. He says, cast those. And in Psalm 55, and I think Peter was referring back to some of these similar Old Testament texts. He says, Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. See, when you don't cast it on him, what happens is you're trusting in your ability to be your sustenance and to be the one that sustains you. You can't give it to him and then bring it back and expect it to be resolved. It won't happen. Now, if you have a Bible with you, let's look at a text that almost we always go to, and that's Matthew 6. And turn over there. I want to share some, just four little things that I feel like the Lord showed me here that are important in dealing with anxiety. Because we were asking, what does the Bible say? And what do we do about it? Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, tons of red in my Bible. It's it's a bunch of red letters because Jesus talked here for a long, long time. And in the middle of this, he says, therefore, I tell you, verse 25, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat or what you drink or about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory didn't look like this or was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, today it's alive, tomorrow it's thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of you, O little you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What will we eat or drink or wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom, seek his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And then he sort of summarizes it. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, New American Standard says each day has enough trouble of its own. So anxiety is almost always driven by two toxic thoughts, and they're right here. Look at verse 26. 
Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? The first thought that anxiety lives off of is, I'm not very valuable and God is not going to show up for me. You ever thought that? You ever wondered, we went, Diane and I went to see the Passion movie last night or yesterday. And in it, they pulled some extra biblical stuff that's, I don't want to say it's assumption, but it's not in the word. But they talked about a struggle that Peter probably had following Jesus. And they, they uh, Peter and his wife had a real dramatic thing happen and it didn't work out for Peter and his wife. And so he was mad about Jesus. And one very telling scene He says, yeah, he did it for them, but he didn't do it for us. What you're saying is he's not going to show up for me. He'll take care of those kids, but he won't do it for me. And that comes, that comes from not understanding who we are in the kingdom. That comes, that's why he says, are you not of more value than that? Peter. Peter, hold up. He loves you. He cares for you. You see, for us living in this world, there are going to be places where we're not going to see what God is doing until after it's done. You won't always see how things are working out in the process. At one point when I shared with you guys I told you about tearing a quad tendon and the bottom of my leg didn't work for six months. I remember falling on a trail in West Virginia and laying there and my leg was killing me. I was in shock and I said to her, I don't know what this is, but God's going to do something. Because if you're not careful, we get lost in just the event. You can get lost right there. And if you're not careful, bitterness and all those things can show up. And before you know it, you have a belief system that he'll do it for them, but he's not going to show up for me. And you'll begin to believe that he's not going to show up for you. Psalm 139 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's who, he's talking about you. The writer is saying, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I love this. The word there in the Hebrew means to cause astonishment. It's like when God created you, he said, oh my gosh, I love that about you. I love the fact that you're an introvert. I love the fact that you process that way. I love the fact that you like those things. I love the fact that you don't want to ever listen to country music. I love the fact. He he is in awe of who you are. See, they made R&B music for old guys like me so that I didn't have to listen to that. He loves the fact that I love that. I was in a spin room the other day and I was listening, I was doing my own class because I missed when everybody was there. And there was a worship song on. I I had my own music going on. I was the only one in the room, nobody else in there. See, when you go by yourself, you can do things that you can't do when there's 20 people in there. 
So spin class, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a, a class where you ride these bikes. They're super hard. It's a really, I burned 600 calories in 40 minutes. It was intense. And this worship song came on. I had worship music on. Old song by Darlene Check. Really old, I know. Probably most of y'all don't even know who that is. But I was riding like this. The people outside in the weight room thought I was stretching. <laughs> I wasn't stretching. I wasn't stretching. And God loves that. Because I can find Him in those places. And you can find Him in places in your life. But in... I'm saying to you, your life is valuable. So don't look around and try to find him in other places with other people. Find him with yourself because you are valuable. And Jesus says, don't worry about the... It looks as if I haven't shown up. I'm here. The second toxic thought is that he doesn't understand what I need. Verse 32 of this same text, he says, The Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The biggest thing you're worried about right now, he already has the answer, and he already knows. He already knows. He knows that you need him. Let me give you a, just a, a quick little glimpse of the vastness of God's understanding. Psalm 147.5, his understanding is beyond measure. Proverbs 15.3, his eyes are in every place, keeping watch over the evil and the good. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he is in this thing with me. Because you know... On Tuesday, he was over in the spin room with me. He was probably with Sharon's husband when he was seeing patients on Tuesday. He was probably with Rick at UNCW on Tuesday. See, because his eyes are everywhere. And that should be a comfort. That should be a comfort so that if, if you get hurt on a hiking trail or if you have a problem in the Caribbean, I don't know if you could have a problem down there, but if you did, <laughs> if you lose something, he's there. His understanding is beyond measure. His eyes are in every place. Listen to this one, Hebrews 4, 4.13. No creature is hidden from his sight. Proverbs or Psalm 139, you search out my path. I love this one. And my lying down. And you're, the Hebrew implies an intimacy, acquainted, but it really means he is intimately acquainted with all my ways. That's the God that you serve and sing about. He's intimately acquainted with every single detail of your entire life. Watch this. He's limitless and holds all of life in an indivisible present. He's not limited by space. There's no place he can't be found. He can be involved in unlimited situations simultaneously. See, we can't do that. I have to read that slow because for most of us, it's like, dude, I don't get that. 
because we're limited. We're taking a limited understanding to try to understand an infinite principle. But I'm saying he has unlimited place. He holds everything in the present and he knows what you're dealing with. There's not an issue that he doesn't understand completely. He understands thoughts, motives, and desires more fully than we do. He understands me better than me. He, have you ever thought about that? He understands you better than you do. He understands your children better than you do. He understands your situation better than you do. It's those kinds of thoughts that cause us to just think, he's got me. He's got me. I'm okay. So look at 2 Corinthians 10. We're going to go here, and I'm going to give you four little things that we can all do. It's actually 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 10. When you begin to, when we begin to talk about dealing with anxiety and worry, you have to begin to talk about it from a thinking perspective. You cannot just think your way out of it. So this is the first thing that I want to give you that these are like, I hate to say steps because I realize this is a very complex thing. I'm talking about the day-to-day worries and concerns, and I'm saying the first thing we have to learn to do is think about your thinking. 2 Corinthians 10, I'm going to show you where this comes from. Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now watch this verse. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your, disobedient, when your obedience is complete. We take every thought captive Listen, to change any behavior, you have to begin to look at the thinking behind it. You can't just say, stop worrying. It may have sounded like Jesus said, don't do that. Just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You and I know that when I'm told, when I'm lost in a worry cycle, just to tell me to stop is not going to probably stop it. But if you tell me to take a thought captive, I can get my, my arms around that one. I recently am working through a book called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. It's written by a neuroscientist named Caroline Leaf. She lives in Charlotte, I think. Whatever has the most energy, listen to this. This is just one little paragraph. Whatever has the most energy in your non-conscious mind, now go with me, don't leave the room please. 
Whatever has the most energy here reflects what we've spent the most time thinking about. Whatever we think about the most grows because you're giving it energy. Just like a plant needs water to grow, a thought needs energy. Thoughts are real. And like all real things, they generate energy. And this, this, these little packets of energy are called photons, which are the fundamental particles of light. Those happen around your, your thought life. Though all of us have experienced photons in many ways, uh, she's making a big assumption there, perhaps you never thought of them in relation to your thoughts. So let me give you an example. You're watching someone being bullied and suddenly you find yourself almost backing up and feeling disturbed. It's almost as if the person is throwing something at you. What you're experiencing is the toxic energy from that person's thoughts and it's real. That's why you get fearful when you see something way out of control. I remember a lunchtime we had at one point and I was eating in a restaurant across the street from UNCW and there was an accident that happened right in front of us. It was easily 50 yards away. It was on a Thursday. But everybody at the table was like, whoa. You felt the energy of what was happening right there. Now, mental energy has a way of sucking us in. Think of hanging out with someone who's constantly depressed or negative or judgmental and how you feel around that. Fear breeds fear. The fearful mind generates fearful probabilities, but it starts with some thinking. The depressed mind generates depressing possibilities, and the same can be said for the positive. The excited mind generates exciting possibilities. The joyful mind, joyful things, and the list goes on. Here's the key. What we... We are what we think, and what we think about most will grow. If you believe that God is not going to show up, that will continue to grow in you. If, on the other hand, you choose to believe, and this is what it means to take a thought captive, if you choose to turn that thought to Jesus and say, I understand where I am and I'm scared, but I'm going to believe that you have me. You've just taken a thought captive. You've taken a fearful thought and you've realized that's what you were walking in and you're taking it captive and it's going to cause you to walk in more faith than fear. So the first thing that you can do is on a regular basis, just ask yourself, what am I thinking about? What are the thoughts that I really have here? Second thing, you want to replace those lies with truth. It's one thing to say, yes, I'm afraid. It's another thing to then introduce truth that God has me, God is with me, God is taking care of me, and suddenly you are replacing the lie with truth. That's what it means to take it captive. When Paul said to take those captive, it was a military term that that meant to have action with it. And I'm saying 
you begin to introduce new things into that worry cycle. Because the way behavior gets occurred, and I don't want to take us way down the road here, but the way this stuff happens is you'll have a thought that will create an emotion and that will create a behavior. Thought, emotion, behavior. God's not going to show up. I'm depressed. I'll isolate. God doesn't love me. I'm sad. I'm not going back to that church. All of those things are connected. You can't just tell people, stop doing that. You got to come back and say, wait a minute, what are you thinking about this? What are you thinking? Paul knew that if we didn't take it captive, those thoughts would begin to drive behavior that can take us down a wrong road. Think about your thinking. Replace the truth with lies. Begin, uh, I was reading, I'm reading a lot right now. So here's another one called Winning the War in Your Mind. This is a great book. Listen to these. Here's some examples of lies that we believe and truth that can counteract it. You may believe that you will never change. You may believe that you have two or three things. Well, it's never going to change. I've always been like that. What do you mean? I always do that. Well, you're forgetting about that word that says with God, all things are possible. But if you keep telling yourself, I'm never going to change, you may not. But with the word that says with God, all things are possible, that's, that's possible. Here's another one. I'm just a failure. No one likes me. That's just not true. God can do things in our lives if we open the door for him. I can't be forgiven. You don't know what I've done. Well, I know that 1 John says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And then he doesn't say, except for, you know, that. I mean, come on, I forgive a lot, but not that. Are you kidding me? You do that all the time. See, that's a, that's a finite understanding of forgiveness. God is an infinite God. He doesn't differentiate. He says, if you confess it, I will forgive it. That's it. So you begin to trust in his word to do that work to change the way we think. Change the way you think, it will change the way you're living. The, the, my most, um, turn over to Philippians now. We're going to go to this third one. What you're thinking about, replace that with truth. Philippians chapter 1. This is probably something that we sang about just this morning. You have to begin as a person, because this takes work, <clears throat> you begin to look through something and not at it. You look on through it. You look on through the issue. You don't get caught just looking at the worry. You look through it. Look at Philippians 1, verse 12. Paul's in prison. He could be really upset about this. He could be really, I mean, if, you know, when we get in, when things happen that are this significant, they can create lots of worry and fear. Philippians 1, 
Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's looking through it. He goes on, he says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and much are bold. They are much more bold to speak the word without fear. How many people do you know, and you may be one of them, that when something happens to you, you get stopped right there. And you get on the worry bus. Well, this is going to change everything. And I can't have this happening. And why is this happening to me? And oh my gosh, what am I doing in prison here? Jesus, you told me I was supposed to go to Rome to preach to authorities. And now I'm here in prison And he starts praying against this and he starts dealing with that and he starts losing it because when you get hung and stuck on yourself, that will keep you in worry and anxiety. You have to learn to look past it. Yes, I'm in prison, but this is because of something Jesus is doing. See, you look on through it. You look on through something. It was uncanny when we would travel when we were a younger family and our kids were still at home and traveling with us. It was uncanny how right before a trip something would happen. Oh, well, your brakes are shot. Oh, well, your car won't start. Oh, well, you need a new battery. In the old days, I was like, Jesus, I needed that money to take my kids out to eat. What the heck is this? I thought you were going to take care of me. When really, I'm grateful the battery didn't stop on I-40. So it's really his provision. You see, you look through it. You look on through situations. Because in the long run... His purpose is greater than my comfort. But worry keeps me tied to that place. And I worry and worry and worry and worry and worry. And then we get to where we're going and somebody says, how about if we take you to dinner and my treat and suddenly I can afford a battery. He loves it when we trust him. Because remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Your father knows what you need. He knows what he's going to do. He knows what he's doing. He knows what you need. I wrote down his purpose is greater than any medical diagnosis I can have. His purpose is greater than a downturn in the economy. His purpose is greater than any rebellious child. His purpose is greater than a rough marriage. His purpose is greater than any change in my work situation because he knows, he, remember, remember, he's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. I wrote in my notes, prayer is not, is an exercise of trust and not informing God of my circumstance. Think about that again. Prayer is an exercise of trust and not informing God of my circumstance. 
Remember 139, he's intimately acquainted. I promise you, if you guys get this, good night. It changes stuff. This will change stuff. Think about your thinking. Replace the lie with truth. Look at it, look through it and not at it. And number four, turn over one page to Philippians 4, bring it to Jesus. Bring it to him. Bring it to Jesus. Philippians 4, chapter 4. See, when you get on this anxiety and worry thing, it becomes a, a loop in your head. And when I say a loop, it just becomes something that you're obsessive about. I don't know about you, but if I get worried about these things, my goodness, I can't get away from it. And so what needs to occur and what can occur, and one thing I've discovered that's very helpful, is you have to introduce something from the outside. I was speaking with someone in the stretching area at O2 on Friday, and she said to me, Oh, I tell you what I do. I will open my Bible and read my Bible to myself until I break that cycle. And I read it out loud. What you're doing is you're introducing something. What happens for me, one of the things I do is, you know, everybody in here has probably got a phone and you can do this. I use either Spotify or Pandora or something and I will find worship and I will put those earbuds in and I will just play that in the midst of my biggest fears. Just because I have to be reminded. And that's what he means by taking a thought captive. I have to be reminded. <clears throat> He's got me. You see a mountain? What are we just seeing? You see a mountain, we see a mountain, you see a mountain moved. We see a cross, you see an empty grave. He's unlimited in his understanding. So we're back here trying to predict what's happening out here. And we've already got failure in the picture. Because we're thinking differently. So I'm saying... <clears throat> Bring it to Jesus. This Philippians text 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Always? Wait, does that say always? Come on now. That's a typo. Somebody messed that up. Does your Bible say always? Oh my gosh. He's so extreme. Rejoice in the Lord always. No, that's what it says. And if that's not enough, he said, okay, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Come on. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all your understanding will guard your hearts and will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God comes from giving it to him and choosing not to participate in that worry. It's a choice. We choose to look at our thoughts. We choose to change and put truth in there. We choose to look on through the issue and not at it. And then we bring it to him. 
He enjoys the communion of prayer. So it's not about inviting him to something. It's about thanking him that A, he's already there. And B, he already knows. So prayer, when he says rejoice, that's nothing but acknowledging his infinite, omniscient, omnipresent self into this situation. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you are here. That's what it means to rejoice. And then he says, let your requests be made known to God. When you begin to introduce outside truth, you are going to change that cycle and that worry and that emotion of fear and anxiety will begin to be diminished. You change it by introducing something from the outside that you can count on. You can count on, if you're married, hopefully you can count on your spouse all the time. You can only count on Jesus all the time. We're going to disappoint each other from time to time. People are going to disappoint you. But he says, make your request known to me. Call to me in Jeremiah. Call to me and I will answer you. Jeremiah 30, 33, 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray and I will hear you. Listen to this one, Psalm 91. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will be with her in trouble. Hebrews 13. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. So where are you? Where are you with with worry today? Because we can leave a lot of it here. You can leave a lot of it here. Have you fallen into that, that place of he's not going to show up for me? If you have, you don't need to beat yourself up. You just simply say, God, I'm really sorry that I didn't trust you. And begin to thank him that he's there. The second half of it is, if you've fallen into the lie that he doesn't understand, Again, just say, God, I'm really sorry. I, 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 I've sold you very, very short. I know you love me, and I know you understand. And I will trust you. I will trust you. I will trust you. Regardless of what I'm in, I'll trust you. That right there, that's why 9% of us over 60 are like, Because we know, we have learned, we have learned to trust. And I'm saying wherever you are, I was a worrier. I lived with a mom who was a worrier. I have a sister who's a worrier. It doesn't matter what we talk about. Eventually, before it's over, it's about something bad. You ever grown up in a family like that? Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter. Because you're on that worry bus. Remember? Thinking, emotion, behavior. It's all there. 
So I just want to encourage you today. I want to pray for you if you want prayer. I want to give you an opportunity. I want you to just stay where you are. I don't even want you to stand up. Just stay where you are. If you are currently worried about something, I want you to bring that to your mind. Do what you can to think, think through that. And it might have been there the whole time. And I want you to just, if you would, if you'd close your eyes for a little bit, if you'd take just a second here. We're going to play a little music, and at the same time, I just want to pray. So my question to you is, what are you thinking about here? Have you sold God short? Do you believe he's not going to show up for you? Well, I want to tell you that's not true. He's going to show up for you. He knows where you are. If you could take the music down just a little bit. And at the same time, I want to encourage you that whatever you're worried about, he knows about the future of that. He knows about your diagnosis. He knows about you're worried about your kids. And so I just want to encourage you to join me and we're going to pray. And then there'll be a, a prayer team that will be up here to meet with you individually if you want prayer at that point but I'd like to pray for you collectively right now Father we're sitting here and we've got things in our mind and heart that uh, we have worried about some of us it's been work related some of it has been health related some of it is future some of it is money Lord I thank you that you know what it is and we collectively repent for not believing that you're true. Jesus, we hear you when you say, your Father knows what you need. We hear you and we embrace that truth. Lord, we hear you when you say to take a thought captive. And we just repent right now and we ask that you replace those lies with truth. We repent for those beliefs and we put the truth in there that you are faithful. And Lord, we ask also that you give us grace to stand when we don't understand. Help us to see the good. Help us to see as much as we need to live in the present and trust you. We choose to rejoice today and we choose to believe that you have our best interest at heart. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that nothing is greater than your purposes, and we want your purposes accomplished in our lives. Watch over our kids, watch over our lives, and we honor you today because you're the God of a clear mind. And I'm asking today that you clear these hearts of worry today, Father. ask for that in Jesus name Amen Amen God bless you Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church If this content was helpful to you please like it rate it review it and share it on social media as that is helpful to us we believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, 
everyone around them benefits and gets better.